Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. God keeps his promises. That's it. That's the message. God keeps his promises. That's my message today, and I want us to think about that truth all throughout this week. Would you say that aloud with me? God keeps, one more time, a little louder. God keeps, maybe write that down somewhere. God keeps his promises. You're undoubtedly going to need to remind yourself, some of you especially, maybe all of us at some point this week, God keeps his promises. There are going to be some things in some of our lives this week that are going to cause some fear some uncertainty, some frustration, some discouragement. You know what you need to be reminded of in those times? God keeps his promises. As Paul said to the believers at Philippi in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul was telling the church at Philippi? By the way, he's writing it from prison. You know what he was saying? God keeps his promises. God's in control. God knows where you're at. God knows what you need. God knows what you're going through. And God keeps his promises. We're going to pick up our message where we were a couple of weeks ago. Last week we saw Priscilla and Aquila. But a couple of weeks ago I took you through the first 11 verses of chapter 18. We're here in the midst of Paul's second missionary journey, he has left Athens and he's gone to Corinth. And, uh, and he's, he's come by boat to Corinth and he's in Corinth, this wicked, godless culture, this wicked society. And God, as, as he did everywhere Paul went, God was using Paul in great ways. And Paul is preaching the gospel as he did everywhere that he went. And God is blessing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pick it up in verse 8. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Verse 8, for a little background, a little review, a little context. In verse 8, in Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, so this is the guy in charge of the Jewish synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. That's some good news. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. We're in a godless culture, a place where there was all kinds of wickedness, temple prostitutes, all kinds of terrible Corinth, just this, this godless society. And Paul comes in and he's preaching and the gospel is so strong that, that not only do Corinthians get saved, the chief ruler of the synagogue gets saved, believes on Christ. And there's a, a little revival happening here in Corinth, people getting baptized. That's good news in heaven, but it wasn't such good news in Corinth. You see, the Corinthians that didn't trust Christ weren't ex real excited about those that did. The Jews that didn't believe weren't real excited that Paul had led their, their pastor, if you will, to Christ. They weren't real excited that now Christmas is gone. And look, verse number nine, we talked about this a little bit, an interesting verse because we don't have a lot of context. But verse number nine, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. What three words did the Lord say to Paul by night in a vision? Would you read them aloud? What does it say there? 
Be not, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. The Bible doesn't give us context here. It doesn't tell us why the angel came in a vision. Here is my educated guess. Why the angel, why the, not the angel, the Lord, why the Lord came in a vision and said, be not afraid. I'm just going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say, it's because he was afraid. He was scared about what was happening. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't sure what was going to, the response, the reaction, because we're going to see it here in a minute. It's a little bit of an educated guess. He was, am I going to go back to jail again? What's going to happen now? And the angel says, be not afraid. Keep going. And I want you to see in verse number 10, the promise to Paul. Verse 10, notice what he says. Why should Paul not be afraid? God gave him reasons why he could rest in faith. Notice what he says. Would you read verse 10 aloud with me, actually? Ready? Begin. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. The promise to Paul. God said, don't be afraid, and then he gave him a promise. What promise did he give him? I see here first, he gave him the first promise, those, those four, first four words, or, or the first five words, for I am with thee, the promise of God's presence. Hey, Paul, no matter who opposes you, no matter who lies about you, no matter who betrays you, no matter who stands against you, I am with thee. I am with you. I promise I am with you. You're not alone. I heard a pastor in Texas tell a story, told a story about a young man whose wife had died unexpectedly, left him with a small son, and after the funeral, the day of the funeral, they went back, and the husband, of course, was emotionally and physically and just in every way mentally drained and and they laid down to put his son to bed. He didn't have the energy to do anything else with his son as they got home that night. Put his son to bed, and he went and laid down. And, and the, the, the son called out, Daddy, Daddy, where's Mommy? The father got up and brought the little boy to bed with him. But the child still didn't go to sleep. He was disturbed and reckless. And every few minutes, he would ask questions like, Why isn't Mommy here? When is Mommy coming back? Finally, as the dad lay there with tears rolling down his cheeks, not sure <clears throat> how to respond. The little boy finally turned, looked at his son, and he said, Daddy, if your face is toward me, I think I can go to sleep now. If your face is toward me, I think I can go to sleep now. The father lay there in the darkness, and in childlike faith, he prayed this prayer. God, I don't See how I can survive this. The future looks miserable. But if your face is toward me, somehow I think I can make it. That's what God wants us to know. That's what the Lord said to Paul here. God's face is toward you, Paul. I am with thee. A promise of his presence. What a comfort. We're never alone, church. He told his disciples before ascending into heaven, Lo, I am with you what? Always. Even unto the end of the world. Lo, I am with you always. The promise of God's presence. What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 4? He said at my first answer, here's what he said. No man stood with me. No man. I was all alone. No man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Not only did nobody stand by me, everybody actively worked against me. They, they forsook me. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy 4, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He, he, God keeps his promises. God has given us a promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us. 
And this morning, I don't need know, know who needs to hear this, but God keeps his promise. Hey, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. Keep going. And here's why you don't need to be afraid. For I am with thee. Number two, I see in that verse a promise not only of God's presence, but Paul received a promise of God's protection. And no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee. Not only, church, is he with you, but he is greater than anything you're facing. A promise of God's protection. I didn't say a promise of, of unconditional prosperity. You'll never have a hard time. You'll never have a trial. You'll never have a tear. You won't ever have a... I didn't say that. What I said is a promise of God's protection. That whatever you walk through, he'll be there. When you're thrown into the fire, he's there. When the tears come at night, he's there. A promise of God's protection. Paul, nothing's going to happen to you that I don't allow to happen to you. Now, sometimes that meant that Paul ended up in prison, but it was a promise of God's protection. I, I will be there with you. I, my pastor growing up would say, my father-in-law would say, all of our fiery trials are father filtered. Everything we walk through, remember Job? We sang about him this morning. Job didn't walk through anything that God did not allow. Now, it was attacks from Satan, but Satan doesn't have the power to do anything that God does not allow, a promise of God's protection. What does the Bible say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. Like, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God will, with that temptation, he'll, he'll not leave us helpless. With that temptation, he'll make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it, the promise of God's protection in whatever you're going through. Don't misunderstand. Pastor told me I won't have any trials this week. No, I said you won't have any trials where God isn't walking with you through the trial. Where God doesn't know everything you're facing. He truly is our protection, our buckler, our shield. You read the Psalms, and they would talk about all these ways that God they would use in their, from their culture and their society. He's my buckler. He's my shield. He's my strong tower. And sometimes, what would they say? He set my feet upon a solid rock. What were they saying? He's my foundation. He's that thing that keeps me standing when the storms of life come. He's, you might not see what I'm standing upon, but my protection, my foundation is there. Here's a picture of me and my boys. A couple summers ago, we took a, a, a trip to <coughs> Africa and we stopped over in Dubai. And right there, that building with the green, that's just the lower fourth or fifth of the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa. I think we have another picture of it there. It's hard to describe the scope of that building. We were standing kind of on the right, the bottom right there and looking at that. And, and at night it has this, this light show that goes. Several, several in our church were there on that layover. We went out and, and, and explored the city there in Dubai. And that building, the tallest building in the world, it rises more than 2,700 feet tall. More than half a mile tall. It has 160 floors. It's twice the size of the Empire State Building. It's home to the world's fastest elevator that travels 40 miles an hour. It hosts the, the world's highest outdoor observation deck on the 124th floor. How many of you would like to go out on that? How many of you would not be going out on that? It has the world's highest swimming pool, the 76th floor. The secret to the stability of this massive building, though, is not necessarily in the structure above ground. It's underground. Before construction ever began to rise up out of the ground, workers spent a year digging 
and pouring a massive foundation that supports the building. The, the foundation contains nearly 60,000 cubic yards of concrete. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds like a lot. How many cubic yards, Todd, somebody help me in a, in a cement truck. Anybody know how many yards of concrete? How many? 10? 10. You could say any number and I would agree with you. 10, it's 10 in a cement truck. So that, I do the math real fast. That's, uh, that's 60,000. So that's about 6,000 cement trucks. The, 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 uh, it, it, the concrete in the foundation weighs more than 110,000 tons. Why does that building stand, the tallest building in the world, stand safely? Because it's on a solid foundation. That which we don't see is what keeps it upright. And by the way, the same is true in our life. Hey, Paul, fear not. Speak. Hold not your peace. Keep going. Why? I am with you, my presence. And that you're not going to be hurt. My protection. I am your foundation. I'm your rock upon which you can stand a promise of God's protection. You and I are safe, not because of who we are, but because of who we are building our lives upon. It might not be the parts of me that you see that is holding me up, but it is he that holds me up, my foundation. He said, I will not leave you. I will not fail you. God keeps his promises. Then in this verse, I see a promise of God's plan. Notice what he says. No man shall settle on thee to hurt thee. Why? For I have much people in this city. What is God saying? I've got a whole lot of people you're still going to reach. What is he telling Paul? I don't know why he gave him this promise, but I have to think, I know that Paul struggled with the same stuff we do because he writes about it sometimes. Oh, wretched man that I am. The stuff I want to do, I don't do. The stuff I don't want to do, that's the stuff I do. Man, I can't get this thing figured out. Sometimes you come to church and you think everybody else has it figured out, don't you? Apostle Paul didn't have it figured out. Man, I can't. I can't get it, I can't get it right. Keep messing up. And sometimes when we're uncertain, when we're fearful, when a trial comes, when we're walking through something, we think, I bet God's done with me. It's probably done. And you know what God told him? Keep going. Here's why. Not only am I with you, not only will I, will I watch over you, but I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you. He said, there, I have much people in this city. I'm not done with you. And sometimes in the midst of trials, it's easy to think that God is done with us. It's easy to think, and may I just say, if you're still here, God is not done with you. God has people he wants you to help and lives he wants you to touch. And sometimes in our despair, in our discouragement, I'm done. And, and God had to come to Paul in the middle of the night and say, Paul, stop it with your fear. Paul, for I am with you. I'm not going to let them hurt you. And I have a plan for you. God, talk to me, keeps his what? God keeps his promises. So that sounds great. If I stopped it right there, man, it'd kind of be cool, like power of positive thinking and this is all encouraging, but we're going to come next verse here, number two, the problem for Paul. Let's look at verse number, so verse 11, it says he continued there a year and six months. So Paul keeps doing what he's supposed to for 18 months. Look at verse 12. This is right after, at least in the recording of scripture, it's right after this promise. Look at verse 12. And when Gallia, Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, Gallio is a Roman governor, the proconsul there, the Jews made insurrection with one accord, everybody against Paul, and brought him to the judgment seat, that Bema seat, saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. They're lying about Paul. They get the whole crowd together. They're strength in numbers. 
It's not going to be his word against mine. It's going to be our word against his. Hey, we want you to know, Galileo, this guy right here, hey, he's not following Roman law. He's disobeying. You need to do something about this guy. They're lying about him. Look at verse number 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, he's about to defend himself. Galileo said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, oh, ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. If this was a, an issue of, of really a part of the law, he was doing something illegal, I'd take care of it. But if it'd be a question of words and names and of your law, he said, basically, if you guys are just fighting over religious stuff, if you don't like the way he's preaching the Old Testament compared to how you're preaching the Old Testament in the synagogue, you Jews are fighting with one another. Notice what he says. If it's just, if it's just words and names of your law, look you to it. You, you guys take care of it. Get out of my office. Get out of, get out of here. For I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler, this guy that replaced Crispus of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. He basically said, I, I, I'm here making sure you guys behave and we get our taxes. I'm not getting in your little personality conflicts. This, he's, not, he's not breaking any Roman law. You go figure out your own little religious squabbles on your own. But wait a second. God had just, I mean, uh, Paul had just received the promise from God that nobody was going to hurt him. And the next thing we see happen in his life is everybody turned against him and lied against him. Wait a second. That doesn't sound right. God's pro God keeps his promises, his, his presence, his, his protection, his plan. And then the next thing we see is they're trying to get him thrown into jail. Now this, God promised nobody would hurt him. May I just say the reality of my circumstances sometimes seem to contradict the promises of God. The reality of your circumstances sometimes seems to contradict the promises of God. Have you ever been there? I followed God and this? But I thought you said, God, I thought, I th wait a second. God, you just came to me at night. I was, I, maybe he was there weeping and crying and scared. His heart was in his stomach. And God, what's going to happen? Are you done with me? What, what? I think I'm done, God. And God said, be not afraid. Speak, hold not thy peace. I've got a plan. No one's going to hurt you. I'm with you. And the next thing Paul knows, the whole crowd is dragging him in front for, for a trial in front of the Roman governor there. What? That doesn't seem right. God just promised me protection and now an angry mob is taking me to a godless leader to be convicted of crimes I haven't committed? I want us to see a very clear delineation here. God had promised that no attack would harm him. God did not promise no attack would come. It's important to remember. Because you see, God will use this attack for his glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. Sometimes you and I go through difficulties in God's perfect providence for the furtherance of his plan. Problems are not an indicator that God's promises have failed. Problems are not an indicator that God's promises have failed. As they often did, the Jews trying to get Paul into trouble, they, they went there and they tried to say he was a threat to Rome. And by the way, had this Roman governor's ruling gone differently, the next decade or so of Christianity may have been very different. 
Because if he made a ruling that what Paul was preaching was illegal and he couldn't do it, that could have become, in the regions, that could have become law, could have become precedent in other places. And God was allowing the opposite to happen, this Roman governor, by saying, this isn't our jurisdiction. Go ahead, you guys figure it out, let him keep preaching. What that did is it allowed the other disciples in other places when, when things got brought to them, Paul was walking through a valley so that other people could reach a mountaintop. And God was using this problem this trial for his glory i don't know for sure but why did god give paul the promises in verse 10 i think maybe one of it some of it might have been whatever whatever he was struggling with in verse 9 but i think maybe god gave him those promises in verse 10 because god knew what was coming in verse 12 god knew about some trials some opposition some heartache that was coming that paul didn't know about he knew what was coming and he had no idea. He knew Paul would need to cling to those promises as he was going to be mistreated and lied about and ganged up on. By the way, church, God knows what's coming and he gives us the power and the promises we need to walk through what's, com what's coming in our lives. Why do we go to church? Well, we should only go to church if we really need something. We need it every week because we don't know what's coming this week. But God does. Why do we read his word and pray when things are good? Because we don't know what's coming, but God does. And we need to be reminded that God keeps his promises. Number three, and lastly, I see here the product of God's promises. So God received the promises. So that sounds good. I got promises. What do I do with them? Notice verse number 11. And he, you see the first three words? Would you read the first three words of verse 11 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And he continued. I like that. And he continued. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And God, and then he gets into a trial and God keeps his promises. And, and look at verse number 18. Verse 18, and Paul after this tarried there yet a good while. Verse number, uh, verse number nine, it says, and, and God said, be not afraid, but speak. I'm giving you these promises so that you will speak, so that you'll preach the word of God among them. What was the result of these promises in Paul's life? They didn't just make Paul feel better or make his life easier. We don't come to church just to get a good little feeling and get some goosebumps when they sing my favorite song and Pastor Ryan gives me some positive message that just makes me feel good for a few. No, what's the product of the promises we receive? It should change the way that we live and we fulfill God's plan for our lives this week because of the promises we've been reminded of today. The promises of God in verse 10 gave Paul the courage and the strength to keep going, to do what God had called him and led him to do. What should be the effect of God's promises in your life? And he continued. And she continued. And her world was turned upside down, and she clung to the promises of God, and she continued. And he was discouraged and received a, a phone call or news he never thought he'd get, and he clung to the promises of God, and he continued. And life didn't turn out the way that he thought it would, and, and somebody closest to him hurt him in ways he never imagined, and he, got, he reminded himself of the promises of God's presence and protection and plan, and he continued. What should be the product of God's promises in our lives? We should stay faithful to him, not because of who we are, but because he's faithful. His promises should lead us to stay faithful to him, 
We should keep going even when the times are tough. We're, we're faithful not because we're strong, but because he is strong. We keep going not because of who we are, but because he is with us. We don't back down because we have him as our source of faith and power. What did Moses tell the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6? Be strong and of a good courage. Uh, fear not nor be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. What did Moses say? Remind yourself of the promises of God and let it change the way you walk through the trials of life. He, he told him, it's a beautiful verse. Be strong and have a good courage. Why? Because you read a self-help book and you listened to a podcast and you turned over a new leaf and you're so disciplined. Is that what, God, what Moses told them? Be strong and have a good courage. Why? Because, and don't be afraid of them. Whatever's out there, don't be afraid. Why? Because he, the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. You've got the promise of his presence, the promise of his protection, the promise of his plan. And the product of that in our lives is, God, I can take another step forward for you. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Fear not. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Man will go back on his promises sometimes. Sometimes people will lie to you and fail you. You can't trust everybody. Sometimes people will lie to, to help themselves out, to manipulate a situation for their own good. I read about a couple that went out for a date and they hired a babysitter to watch their kids. And the babysitter, they got home and they were expecting to get home and have to clean everything up and to fight with the kids, you know, at certain ages, getting children to go to bed is like a hostage negotiation and, and figuring out how they're going to get them to go to sleep. And they got home and to their shock, the kids were all in bed, quiet, asleep. Our parents, like, that's heaven right there. Hallelujah. We just had a nice meal and now the kids are all asleep and, and they thanked the babysitter profusely and they, oh, thank you so much. We don't know. Here, and they paid her and gave her a tip, gave her a little extra. And as she was walking out, she turned back and she said, oh, I forgot to tell you. I told the kids if they went to bed, you would buy them a pony in the morning. Sometimes people will tell us things to help themselves. They'll lie to us for their, but God keeps his promises. Would you turn with me in closing Joshua chapter number 23? I want you to see two verses. It's not just a New Testament thing. It's the same God we serve. Joshua chapter number 23, beautiful Beautiful two verses here as Joshua is about to die. The leader of the nation of Israel, Joshua chapter number 23. Joshua is about to die, and I think all of us, I pray that all of us will be able to say what Joshua said at the end of his life, at the end of his, what the, he fulfilled what God had called him to do. That one that had served Moses, and then God had raised up to be the leader of Israel. Joshua 23, verse number 14. He tells them, behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. Everybody, what, what do they say? The only two things in life that are sure, death and taxes. I'm going the way everybody goes. I'm about to die. And you know in all your hearts, look at this, you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. What does Joshua say at the end of his life? Israelites, you know, you know, God keeps his promises. Everything he said, he's performed. 
Not one word has failed. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful testimony at the end of a life. By the way, Joshua had some battles. Joshua had some enemies. Joshua had some trials. Joshua had some defeats. But he got to the end of his life and he tells the Israelites, you know that our God keeps his promises. And I want you to skip over the next chapter, verse number 14 of Joshua 24. In in context, you can read the rest of it this week. It's a beautiful kind of final speech, last charge he gives to the Israelites. But in context of the fact that I'm about to die and God is faithful, look at verse 14 of chapter 24. Now, therefore, because of all that God has done, therefore, would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. What does he say? God keeps his promises. Therefore, would you serve the Lord in sincerity and truth because of all that God has done for us? Now, we have failed him. Your dads worship some other gods. We have failed God, but God has never failed us. And Israelites, because of the fact I'm about to die and not one of his good words has ever failed me, because of that fact, may I leave you with the challenge. Would you please serve the Lord in sincerity and truth? What does he say? The product of God's promises should lead us to live a life of faithfulness through the ups and the downs, the mountains and the valleys. Liberty family, again, would you say it with me? God keeps his promises. He has promised his presence. He has promised his protection. All our fiery trials are father filtered. He has a plan that he will fulfill. I like what one commentator said. I read this week. He said, now you might be tempted to think, I wish I had such promises to go on like Paul did when it comes to living for Jesus and sharing him. Here's what the commentator said. Take heart because you do. The Lord has already told us that he is with us, Hebrews 13, 5, and that he is drawing people to himself, John 6. And while we can't claim God's final promise to Paul exactly, we do have God's promise to, that he will work for the good of his people, Romans 8, 28. With that in mind, we must daily fill our minds with the promises of God. That, in fact, is how we fight fear today. So saturate your mind and heart with the Lord's sovereign and sweet promises. Do you feel alone? Meditate on his promises. Do you feel afraid? Meditate on his promises. Do you feel unworthy? Meditate on his promises. Do you feel like God has done working in your life or your family or your country? Meditate on his promises. Whatever you're struggling with, the promises of God are the answers to your doubts, your insecurities, your uncertainties, and your fears. As William Carey, the father of modern missions, famously said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The message this morning is pretty simple. God keeps his promises. By the way, the most important promise that he could ever give you and that he could ever keep is... He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The promise that if you'll come to Christ, if you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, that if you'll come to Christ by faith, accepting him as your savior, he promised you'll have eternal life, sins forgiven, eternity in heaven. And may I tell you, church, God, Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.